Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. And today we're talking about confirmation bias. So this is a pretty interesting phenomenon, and it's actually the opposite of scientific inquiry. So for those of us who've grown up with an engineering background or a science background, you know that the first thing you want to do when you have a theory or a particular view of the world is to test that view and try and prove it wrong. So there's tremendous amount of effort which goes into accumulating evidence, testing the implications of a theory, looking at the data, trying to find situations where it fails, and maybe it leads to you tearing down the entire theory. Maybe the core part of the theory works, but you have to make some modifications. But through this rigorous process of building up hypotheses, tearing them down, building them up again, that's how we advance our knowledge. And see, as we've talked about, that's how we evolve our knowledge. That's how we evolve the human condition. And at times it could be uncomfortable. I mean, certainly there have been times in history where unorthodox views have been unwelcome, where scientists propagating certain views. We've talked about in the past the view that the sun is the center of the universe instead of the earth. That was a very controversial view. That was very threatening. But eventually science wins out and you have scientific revolutions and changes in the way that people think which can only benefit us. That's going to be something that increases our understanding of ourselves, of the world around us, makes it easier to navigate this life, achieve what we want to achieve. So in the scientific community, this is very well established. What I think is extremely interesting is if you look at how people behave individually, and even more broadly than that, how we behave culturally outside of the scientific community, it's almost the opposite approach. So there's something well-known, which is called confirmation bias. And I see this in finance a lot. So it's a well-documented phenomenon in finance, uh, where if you're looking to invest in a stock and you fall in love with a particular company, you think that this company has tremendous prospects. It can only go up. You look for evidence to confirm your view. And you look for proof that it's going to do what you think it's going to do. You start dreaming about all the money you're going to make, and you ignore evidence to the contrary. So that's one example. We see this more generally. So in political discourse, we've talked about how there is tremendous polarization at this point. You've got people who are far on the left or far on the right, and they've got their own worldview. They stick to that worldview. They don't want to even entertain ideas that oppose their understanding of reality. And this is exacerbated because we've got all these algorithms now in YouTube and Facebook and so forth, which allow you to construct your own virtual world. So you actually never have to test your hypotheses. You never have to go out and see whether they work or not. You just click on endless links and endless videos that tell you what you want to hear and you feel comfortable. But again, that's a very limiting view of reality and it's not something that's going to advance personal knowledge. So as we get into this, I think part of it is around evolution. Part of it, Z, is also around health. When we get too attached to a particular view and we start looking for evidence to support that view, that also becomes a mental tax. Anytime we're confronted with something that's uncomfortable 
or something that challenges the way that we see the world, we try really hard to dismiss it, to vilify it, to come up with all these reasons why it simply can't be true. And that creates a lot of anxiety. That creates stress. That puts us in a chaotic mental state. And certainly that can't be very good for our health. So we have problems in terms of our ability to evolve, in terms of our ability uh, to just live in a tranquil mental state, a fluid state where we're not too attached to any particular thing. And then if you go beyond that and think about personal relationships, of course, if you're overly dogmatic and you're only looking to confirm your point of view, that limits the number of people that you can interact with. Because suddenly anyone who's got a slightly different perspective becomes a threat and someone that at best you don't want to talk to you. And at worst, you want to actively eradicate. Let's get rid of the person which is making me so uncomfortable and shaking up the foundation of my beliefs about the world. So I think there are a lot of costs to this. But I want to hear your perspective, Z. Talk to us a little bit about this phenomenon. Where have you really seen confirmation bias come into play? Vin, you know, working with people every day, all different kinds of people, different uh, demographics of people, different social backgrounds, different ethnic cultural backgrounds. And over the years, it never ceases to amaze me that the, the potential for humans to advance and also our ability to suffocate our own advancement. In a simple example, I think about um, this famous doctor, Ignatz Simmelweis. So Ignatz is the doctor that came up and said, hey, if you wash your hands, you won't spread disease. And so he's considered now the father of, of uh, those types of medical protocols, right? But the data shows and the history shows and the literature written is he was um, persecuted heavily, uh, driven out of medicine, criminalized, everything for suggesting that doctors had dirty hands. That's what it came down to. At the time, and even now, we, we, we look at clinicians, we look at different people with different social titles as being above reproach. And let's, let's just take that in all fields of, of endeavors. We assume that a judge is a decent and noble person, that then that gives them license to be above reproach or questioning. We look at different fields of endeavor that have associated titles, a preacher, a priest, a reverend, a minister, above reproach. So at the time of, of, of Ignat Semmelweis, doctors were considered that class of person, highly educated, elite, extraordinary, above reproach. So in his research, when him and many people at the time discovered that, hey, these unseen bacteria that we are transporting to and from, from patient to patient, can have an overwhelming effect on a newborn child and a mother who has just gone through childbirth, whose immune system is very vulnerable to being compromised. And what all people heard was, oh, you're telling me the doctors have dirty hands. That's all they heard. And doctors are better than most people, so they could even be dirty. Germs won't even get on a doctor. A doctor's so special that even if he's exposed to germs, just through the magic of his uh, grandiosity, that we won't get disease. 
So just to insinuate that. So most people knew it, but to conform to the, the style of the day, they had to go with this confirmation narrative. So we now hear that and we think this sounds ridiculous, right? We, we, we think now, wow, that sounds really ridiculous. Don't you care about the facts and truth? No, people don't. Unless they're trained to do that. Unless they are involved, invested heavily in a contemplative practice that allows them to take information at its face value and accept it without it being embellished with the coatings and sugarings of things that appeal to the ego. So an example of that is when people come to, uh, come to me, come to this institution, and I sit them down and I talk about their health. There's a device known as the in-body segmental analysis um, piece of equipment we have. And it lays your whole body out. It tells you your weight, the amount of fat, the amount of water, the intercellular, extracellular fat, and then it points out, it'll come up with a simple algorithm and said, you need to gain this much muscle and lose this much fat. I use that because over the years, if I tell a person that same thing, they feel insulted, angered, whatever, because I'm not confirming that they are the greatest person on earth since the birth of Jesus or something. And they come to me for health issues. And what I'm looking for is a way to mitigate those issues, to mitigate their suffering. But oftentimes what prevents it is if it doesn't conform to a style and then confirm that they're better than others, then they get angry. And people have told me that, and many of you who know me and maybe listen to these podcasts said, wow, Z, you're kind of harsh. You, um, you just said it too straight. No, it wasn't harsh, and it wasn't said too straight. How can something be too direct? What it didn't include was the flavoring and the sugaring of the ego that's offered in confirmation styles of interaction. So right now, most of our news media is confirmation news because we can, we can switch channels infinitely and find someone who will confirm what we believe. If we want to say the earth is flat, there's a whole thing that will confirm that the earth is flat. If you want to believe that um, um, one presidential candidate or another is a wonderful character, there will be a whole confirmation of that. Uh, it will be devoid of anything that you find repulsive, anything that you that doesn't affirm, confirm, uh, and and complement your your already held view. Then you can simply switch the channel and go to something else. There was a entertainer who is uh, grotesquely obese, suffering from all sorts of health maladies. And there is a confirmation stream. So you know what? She's okay. I actually saw a doctor say, no, you can be 180, 200 pounds overweight, and there's no problem with that. That's just the way it goes. No, there's a problem with that. We evolved a certain way. Over hundreds of thousands of years, we evolved a certain way. This person is not well. We're not attacking uh, people on a personal level. We're just simply looking at disease models, miasms, and so forth. And once you take it personal, 
then you have to harness the ego. You have to have the ally of the ego to um, amplify this personal slight on you that you perceive to be a personal slight. And so now there's so much of the media, so much information out there, and even the way we talk is to confirm, affirm, convince, cajole, and co-opt anything that vaguely looks like intelligence, critical thinking, deductive reasoning. It is unhealthy, it is deadly for people who um, will call anything that doesn't fit that confirmation shaming. There's a new term, we've, we've reappropriated the term shaming and, and it, to mean that if you discuss anything uncomfortable, it's shaming the person. Um, uh, it actually, it's, it's causing more problems. And if we think about it, again, the co-opting of language in order to confirm our view of the world. Uh, in order to be ashamed of something, um, there has to be some uh, lineage of, of, of honor and dishonor. We don't live in that world where there's no honor or dishonor anymore. We don't even live in that world, so how can you be shamed? People aren't ashamed of anything anymore. So you can't fat shame, smoke shame. You, this doesn't even exist, but we have brought it into, from the existential world into the temporal realm, um, just by our outrage or seeming outrage or that uh, the, the sheer number of people that will go along with something. Just because a lot of people go along with something doesn't mean that it is beneficial, right? So we have this confirmation theme that we're living on right now that you have these people that will confirm um, certain behaviors, certain attitudes, and then that becomes kind of standard social behavior. You fall in line, you're welcome. You fall out of line, you're no longer welcome. So it is unhealthy as, as far as we're concerned here at, in, in, in our opt-out community and our dispassionate observer ideology and in the Dharma Health Institute because we want to mitigate human suffering. We want people to be able to look at the data look at reason and say, hey, this is, this is a challenge and here's a problem and here's how I want to face it. It's not personal. It's not impersonal. Again, I talked to a friend the other day. I, I mentioned it, I think, in the last podcast that he, he, him and his wife came to me about health issues and I sat down and I did a, a one or two hour consult, my wife and I, and he says, you know what? Everything you said was dead on. We're doing it. We feel better. But my wife never wants to speak to you again. I said, oh, really? That's great. I didn't know her much anyway, so it's not like I'm losing a friend, but he happened to mention, you know how you talk. He said, okay, you know how you talk to people. Well, how do I talk to people? Well, you don't validate people and you don't, um, you don't confirm them, you don't affirm them. I said, that's true, that's true, that's absolutely true. I make it a point not to do that um, because I think it's detrimental to their well-being. It's detrimental to my soul and it hurts the world because we can't improve. Um, I, I had many great mentors, as you know, many just some of the, the, the great track coach, great martial arts coach. And I remember the master of my master, when you worked and trained with him, they didn't even know your name for the first five or six years you trained with him. And they really didn't care to know your name until you did something extraordinary in the service of others. We never took offense to that. We never pushed up on him and said, you, you, you don't know my name, I feel really bad. Well, he knows a lot of people. Why does he need to know me? And for some of us, it was great because if he didn't know your name, 
you didn't do anything wrong. You were like in the corner training and you did what you're supposed to do. And I wasn't there to be recognized by him. I was there to master the martial arts. He was there to provide the tools and resources for me to master the martial arts. So our arrangement was perfect. Years later, 20, 30 years later, he says, hey, you're, you're that kid that did so and so. Yeah, I'm not a kid anymore, I'm like 100 years old, but thanks, sir, for remembering me that I helped you in your garden. So that made me feel really good. But I never felt slighted because if I look at what I can do, my, my uh, ability to um, exact upon the martial arts disciplines that he shared with me, even at these later years of my life, I'm in complete gratitude. He gave me, if not everything I wanted, more than what I wanted. So I don't need him to affirm my presence or confirm who I am. So that I share with people is a healthy thing. We don't need everybody to pat us on the head, right? The Tao says, you seek others' approval, you'll be their slave. Let's not do that. Let's, let's go and do work. Let's work on ourselves. And when we hear something that is, is unfavorable, we respond to it the same way we respond to something favorable, right? And so that way we can advance. Human beings are uniquely positioned that we can advance or hinder our own evolution. We can do that. We can push ourselves through discomfort. We can challenge our fears. We can face our demons. We can do things outside of the natural tug to extend ourselves. We can travel further. We can figure out how to breathe underwater how to survive in space because the one thing we can challenge discomfort and we can learn from our mistakes you cannot learn from being praised for nothing you cannot learn from confirming I challenge everyone <clears throat> whatever news article you enjoy hearing right you hear that um, somebody got screwed up somewhere read another article that's contrary to that and I and, and just a simple thing you don't it takes two three minutes bounce from news station news go from Republican to liberal and back and forth and, and then in between that is the truth go back and forth and it's shocking what's left out right so if you're reading one side of the news there's stories you'll never hear if you read the other news there's other stories you'll never hear Wow, that's interesting. If this is a, an earth-shaking story, why is it on the other channel? And if it's so relevant to the human species, how come we didn't hear about it on that other channel, right? Did you know that <clears throat> down in Brazil, certain political leaders are selling the rain forces for pennies on the acre, dollars on the acre, to clear-cut and burn down the Amazon. The Amazon's almost gone. Did you know that? That the Amazon forest almost doesn't exist anymore. Did you know that? No. Because we were more concerned with some nonsense in the confirmation news that we're listening to. I think for every human on earth, the fact that the rainforest has burned down is an interesting piece of information. 
And did you hear that somewhere in Antarctica, or somewhere in Russia near the Arctic Circle, that it was 95 degrees? And the dead animals that had been frozen under the tundra for a hundred years are being thawed out and whole villages are succumbing to a disease that existed over a hundred years ago because the virus is alive and well as it's thawing out because you can freeze a virus, right? That's what they tell you about the Kofifi vaccine. It's frozen and you have to use it within five days of being thawed out. Well, there's another disease that's thawing out in the tundra of Russia somewhere near the Arctic Circle that killed off a bunch of people over a hundred years ago that's now alive and well because you know what? It's thawing out because it's 95 degrees in a place that had never seen temperatures above 15 or 20 degrees. To me, those are interesting stories if you're into science. And if you're not, you're just looking for things that confirm your idea of the world so you don't hear about it. That doesn't help you. That doesn't help that particular, what do they call it, Caitlin, when it's just a whole bunch of people, the crowdsourcing or whatever, the stream of people that go to one thing, just get a bunch of people. What um, is that? The algorithm or no? No, it's just when you get a whole bunch of people that the, 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 just a crowd of people, it sounds like a crowd of people get together and they all believe one thing, whatever it is, and that's your demographic, right? So you have this kind of crowd of people that like this kind of news and that's what they do. That's what we see right now, right, in American politics. So you just had an election where 70 million people voted for one guy and 80 million voted for another guy. It's almost binary. Almost everybody that participated in the, uh, in the, the, the election which is, I think, about a third of the population, right, bro? A third of the population. And it was, it was damn near down the middle. It was basically uh, a 60-40 split. And <clears throat> those people believe with everything in their bones the evil of the other side, right? And everything in the media they read confirms that. And so even other structures that try to stay neutral are having a hard time dealing with the gravity and the push of confirmation biases. So the legal system is now being harnessed to do politics. It's not supposed to do politics. So if it does do politics, you have a collapse of a legal system which is in itself fragile. So you also have religious institutions that are involved in politics. So the lines between religion and politics are made very vague because the need to confirm. So before you go to this church, they need to have a political test for your allegiances, which churches and religious organizations were never supposed to be involved in state politics, called separation of church and state. You see how crazy it gets? All because we want to confirm our idea of how the world should work, devoid of science, devoid of evidence-based understanding, devoid of critical thinking. So this seeking confirmation is, is unhealthy and it can even be fatal because we're saying that if something doesn't confirm, feel good, and brings me comfort, I'm going to discount it. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I definitely follow you, Z, and I think it is pretty terrifying in some ways. As you're talking about confirmation bias, I'm thinking about our news media. And it's not just what people are paying attention to. 
it's the articles that journalists are even allowed to print. It gets so bad that if you want to come out against a dominant narrative and say something that criticizes narratives around global warming or Black Lives Matter, and I'm not here to take a side about what's right and what's wrong. I'm just saying they're different points of view. And in some cases, reporters who present their side and present evidence which might make other people uncomfortable lose their jobs. And even if they don't lose their jobs, there is just a surge of criticism. And not just criticism, but accusations about how you're a racist or you're a denier. It's risen to the level of personal attacks because someone is simply presenting a set of facts and their interpretation of those facts. But we can't even stand listening to the other side. And I think what's interesting, Z, it doesn't even make it to the general population because these views are being stopped in their tracks. Their censorship before we even have the ability to do our own censorship. So we might censor what's out there because certain things make us uncomfortable and we're a victim of the confirmation bias, but we don't even have the opportunity to correct that because someone else is doing the censoring before the information lands in our newspaper or on some documentary on Netflix. And that I find horrifying, number one. I think about what you said in terms of how this affects our health. Uh, yes, it can be bad for the individual. It's bad for society. There's no good that comes out of this. What I'm struggling with a little bit is just why we've gotten to this place or maybe how we've gotten here. I mean, if I think back over the last, it's probably been 30 years at this point, the first that I heard of this was actually right before I went to college. And at that point, I think it was the year before I went to college, the school that I was going to, there was an incident where a Jewish man was studying and there was a group of black women in a courtyard below. And he ended up shouting at them to keep their voices down. And he called them water buffaloes in Yiddish. So maybe it was offensive. Maybe it was rude. It was interpreted as a racist comment and he was kicked out of the university. And I remember thinking, that seems extreme. I mean, maybe it wasn't a remark made in the best taste. And maybe he should have kept his mouth shut. But to be taken out of the university without any serious evaluation of the circumstances or really being able to understand this person's motive, that to me is pretty extreme. And it just seems to have gotten worse and worse if I look at the last 30 years. So we've gone from that to a world where honest debate isn't allowed on college campuses. You have researchers who are coming in who are presenting certain points of view. If those points of view are unpopular, even though they're based on science, they're based on solid research, they're protests. There's certain professors who are forced to resign because their views and the research are unpopular. And again, these aren't just opinions. Uh, these aren't statements that come out of thin air. Uh, these are views which are based on empirical facts. Uh, but people don't have the tolerance for things that conflict with their understanding of reality. Where my concern is, Vin, is for those who are opt-outs, for those who are this passion observer, be careful. As what the pandemic has taught us, um, the social distancing, 
the masking behavior, all these sorts of things, I would apply them on a more subtle level. Guard yourself against the need to be to have confirmation of everything you do. Confirmation biasing. And remember, in order for that to work, there can be no management or control of the ego. And the bane of any human development is the subjugation of oneself to the ego. So the other area that you see this is with comedians, and that's a whole other bizarre experiment. We talked to Smacy, and he just chronicles how you can't say what you want anymore, and you're completely vilified, although he actually traces this back to the 80s, so the trend has been around for a long time, but it's gotten worse and worse. One of the guys who runs the open mic that I was participating in, he flat out said satire is dead. You can't do satire anymore because people don't understand it. They just hear certain words and certain phrases and they take offense and then suddenly your career is over. So we've been moving in these strange directions where I think there's less and less tolerance, Z, for anything that people don't want to hear, anything that provokes discomfort. If I think back, the basic reaction has always been there. So there is the ego and the ego is going to try and protect your self-esteem. If there are observations or criticisms, that makes us uncomfortable. We want to avoid those. Uh, that's something that's part of human nature. Another part of human nature that we've talked about is just the cost of processing all of this complexity in the world. And it makes it much easier to follow a conspiracy theory or follow a dominant narrative and just find evidence that supports that worldview instead of having to weigh in your mind conflicting points of view and make sense of what's actually going on, which in many cases may be in a gray area. Maybe some of your views are correct, maybe some aren't. Maybe some, frankly, you don't know. You just don't have enough information to be able to judge what's right and wrong. And that makes us very uncomfortable. I mean, you can almost feel yourself physically getting riled up or getting tense when the world around you doesn't make sense or when someone's challenging what you hold to be an absolute truth in your mind. So when I think about this, one question I have for you is, why has this happened? I mean, the tendency has always been there. That's part of our biology. But why is it that over the last 30 years and much more so over the last 10 years, we've gotten to this point where there's almost no tolerance for views or ideas that are different from our own. There's no tolerance for criticism. There's no tolerance for listening to someone objectively giving you advice as you do, Z, on how to get your life in order, mitigate your own suffering. What has changed in us that's made us so averse uh, to looking at ourselves more objectively? Then I believe the trend has, it's been a steady trend. It's like going down a ski slope. And you're going down the ski slope and at first you start going at a few miles an hour. And then the pace picks up and goes faster and faster and faster. So unlike, not unlike a, a, an old children's sports called um, a soapbox derby, right? They have these little cars that coast down the hill. And at first they start really slow and then the momentum picks up. So the, 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 the momentum of this behavior has been with us, as you said, for a long time. They become more noticeable. And then it became more and more people found attraction to it maybe that's the word I'm looking for I'm not sure 
but we it became acceptable, which is going to lead to another conversation we have about it's a very dysfunctional way of being. And each time that we gave it space, it picked up momentum, right? Um, there used to be a time when the idea of individual accountability, um, rejecting entitlement, um, was a normal thing. And there would always be somebody that would feel slighted because things didn't go their way. There was always, there's always been that element of the village. And there's always been stories about a person that the emperor, the emperor's new clothes, excuse me, the emperor's new clothes, the children's story, right? Where there's these, the naked emperor, no one wants to speak up because of his ego and because their own comfort, the real troubling part of the emperor's new clothes wasn't so much the emperor, but the sycophants around the emperor, which we see now in society that no one speaks up or has a position that they feel they would put them at risk of what? I'm not sure. Um, we stopped looking for heroes to be the statesmen of the average person and we looked at the, the anti-heroes. It used to be years ago, and even in my lifetime, whatever your political affiliation or your social idea that a person who had sacrificed for others, who was had integrity that had been proven through adversity and challenge, were looked at as someone you would revere, certain qualities. You would revere that. There was a slow change because that was an extraordinary person that set an example for the ordinary person. And then that slowly started to shift when the anti-hero became somebody that you looked up to because it was more attainable. Anyone could be an anti-hero. Anyone could be a coward. Anyone could be narcissistic, self-absorbed, um, self-grandizing. Anyone could do that. So it made, because of consumerism, a part of that too, it became readily available. Wow, I can have notoriety and fame and riches by being the anti-hero which doesn't require sacrifice, it doesn't require struggle, it doesn't require um, depriving yourself of immediate gratification. And we bought into that. I was saying earlier, and, 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 and I think Kate, Caitlin had to give me a, a break because all the voice came in, it was horrible, um, about the idea of the untethered ego. The great yogi Sri Aurobindo warns us about that, that whenever you even mention the ego, it rallies itself up a thousand folds and increases its grip and hold on you. Just the very mentioning of the ego. So when we are looking for confirmation, we're not looking for confirmation of a higher pursuit of truth. We're not looking for confirmation of good science. We're not even looking for confirmation of the facts of the moment. We're looking for comfort. That's what we're looking for. I feel comfortable. I, that doesn't mean you feel good. That doesn't mean you're going to be healthy. 
That doesn't mean it's sustainable, but it's something you're used to and it's familiar. Comfort is familiar. If you look at people who live in deplorable circumstances, maybe they're living in an abusive relationship, and when they get out of there, they say, well, what will I do if I'm not in this? I think about the history in this country of slavery. One of the greatest catastrophes of recent human history. Most slaves wanted to stay enslaved because the unknown was less familiar and less, less comforting. Not that it felt good to be whipped, raped, beat, abused, your children disemboweled in front of you on a regular basis. Not that that was a great thing, but you were used to it. There was a rhythm to it. You had a sense of it. There were rituals around it. Take those away, then what do you have? So the average person who doesn't have a contemplative practice would rather stay in that place. They would stay in that confirmation vector. So to now, we have health issues that can readily be addressed, right? By change of behavior. And even if you're facing some heavy health shit, like Caitlin's facing all kind of heavy health stuff, but she looks great. She kicked ass. She's doing great because she faced it head on. She, she cried and dried her eyes, but kept her eyes on the target, as we say. Cry all your tears, but don't lose, don't take the crosshairs off the target. So Caitlin came forward and said, hey, I'm going through something. Everybody rallied around. She's got a huge uh, level of support, adoration, um, a more love than most people will find in 10 lifetimes. And she's kicking ass, right, Caitlin? You just she's she's digging in. There's no shame. There's no everybody's telling her business. I'm going over every detail of her medical records to anybody who'll listen. Every little intimate detail of her life. It's like she's just a naked woman in an art class. It's like it's so bad. So, but we're facing it and we're dealing with it. Isn't that correct? We're dealing with it, yeah. and she's coming along just fine um, because she didn't look for confirmation of comfort. She looked for affirmations of, am I doing the right thing? Give me the right tools, the right resources, so I can be well. Don't tell me nice things. Don't tell me what I, I, I would want to hear that would soothe my ears, but inflict horrific suffering on my being and my soul. So you want to reject this confirmation. For those of us who are struggling with family members in this crazy political times, don't try to teach them anything. Just be still in the middle of the storm. And your very example of clarity, stillness, and fortitude will shine a brighter light than the, 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 the dust cloud of confirmation. Okay? And so you want to pull away from those people, nurture the part of them that is about familiar connection, but totally reject the madness. Just reject the madness. And it will be uncomfortable. But you know what? Humans evolved because we faced discomfort. Um, one of my heroes died recently, which was Chuck Yeager, who was the um, first person to fly faster than the speed of sound. I remember when I was a young Air Force guy and a kid, I got to meet Chuck Yeager, and I was just high as a kite. I thought, you know, it, was, it couldn't have been better than, than meeting uh, Raquel Welch or something at the time. So I met Chuck Yeager, and he was such a down-to-earth guy. And 
he was doing a discussion about what was it like going through the sound barrier. And he said, yeah, they came up with all kind of theories. They had all kind of discussions that you would hit this wall and your, you know, your body would fall apart. And he said, but I just had a feeling. I had flown planes. I had driven fast cars. And I just said, faster, faster, more, more. Faster, faster. And he said it was hard. He said, man, I felt things. I felt my insides flipping inside out, but I knew I would be okay. I, I didn't look for confirmations of safety, security, or comfort. I just wanted to kiss the sky. And Chuck Yeager did it. He broke the speed of sound. Now it's a normal thing. And uh, he died at 97 years old. And he was, people would always say, yes, Chuck Yeager's rough around the edges. If you're around him, he'll say something that will put you off. And he, I thought, I thought he was just a wonderful human being when I met him. He was uh, not involved in the politics. He didn't take one side. He was neither left nor right. He was down the middle. He liked some things and didn't like other things. And he was a kick-ass human being. And so when we look at role models in our lives and people who have pushed the boundaries of the immediate human condition, they were always people that did not seek confirmation. Confirmation will lead us to confinement. Once you get into confirmation bias, you then have to reinforce it. You have to do all sorts of things to blind your eyes to facts. Right now, we're witnessing the collapse of U.S. democracy. We're, we're looking at polarization in a way that you could never have imagined. But it didn't happen during this cycle of politics. It was on its way to happening because we then developed forms of communication there were absolute. You either believe this way or that way. We even push, if science doesn't confirm to our view, we deny science. If religion doesn't confirm to our view, we deny religion. And we look for one that promotes our ancient, antiquated, and failed view of the world. There is no way to be healthy and well when you seek confirmation. Just be the best you can be. Work on yourself to the best of your ability. Seek out criticism. Seek out critical thinking. Seek the uncomfortable things. That's where the knowledge is. That's where the well-being is. It's the bitter medicine we take every day. They say the master takes bitters every day because every day is hard. You're going to face this unknown pandemic Dot your I's and cross your T's and avoid having comorbidities. We said that a long time, we said it again. If, but it's uncomfortable avoiding comorbidities. How do you avoid comorbidities? Don't eat at McDonald's. I'm not against the people, they're making their money, but that's not food. Does everybody understand? That is not food. If you want to be healthy and well and avoid the comorbidities, exercise, work out. Be loving and kind. Go to bed at night. Drink plenty of water. Don't go to fast food places and look at that as food. Don't hang out with people that have no um, vested interest in well-being. Call a spade a spade. I'm not saying that as a racial slur. I'm just saying call things as you see them. You may not be absolutely correct, but just say, hey, you know what? That doesn't sound right. Yeah, something doesn't sound right about that. Trust your gut. 
But before you can trust your gut, you have to renew your gut, right? You have to um, re-energize it. You have to reclaim it. Know what you don't know. That's how you know what you know, is by knowing what you don't know. Don't always have to be right, right? Let yourself be wrong. Don't always try to teach people things or about life that you know nothing about. Don't bother your mechanic if you're not a mechanic. Don't sit there hovering over the mechanic, asking questions, and you know nothing about a car. When you go to the doctor, take notes. Well, what do you mean by bilirubins and uh, creatine levels and what's WBC? What is? Ask, ask questions. Sit down and ask questions. So before you can even ask the questions, be knowledgeable enough to even ask the question. Can you explain to me what the hell's going on? That's what I told Caitlin. They said, look, Caitlin, you're going to go in. We're going to burn the cancer out. We're going to move your uterus up there by your heart. And we're going to take uh, the fallopian tubes and, and, and tie them into your thigh. She came and told me that. I said, what? <laughs> Who's your doctor? Frank N. Stein? And then she went back and she researched a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't that comforting? Once yeah. you researched it and go, oh, okay. It's not as dreadful as I thought, right? Right, right, yeah. Well, that and I ask my doctor, like, a ton of questions. That's right. Ask mm -hmm. a freaking question. Don't sit mm -hmm. up there and act like... You're, 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 you know, you're doctor, uh, who, you, you know, you're, you're Doc Ock or somebody and not ask questions. Yeah, I get it. I understand. So you're going to attach my splumigator to my finctal rectal. You don't even know what it is. Ask questions. They tell you you're going to attach something to your finctal rectal. You need to ask what the hell's a finctal rectal? That's on an elephant. That's not on a human being. Are you a veterinarian or are you a damn oncologist? Okay. So. Ask questions. Don't look for confirmation. If they have bad news, say, give it to me straight. Right? Now what you did. Give it to me straight. Don't, don't floss it over. Don't tell me, ah, it's just a little thing. No, it's a big fucking thing. Okay? So, have the internal fortitude. As they used to say, the intestinal fortitude. To tell yourself, tell your loved ones, tell your partner. Let me know if my breath stinks, baby. And I'll take a man or gurgle or something. Let's not co practice combat liberalism. Tell me what I need to do. Let me know what you want from me. I may not be able to give it to you, but at least I know and I can strive for that. When it comes to health and well-being, take notes. Take notes. Don't buy, don't, yeah, you know, they say I'm old. That's why this stuff's hanging off my side, because they said I'm old. You know when you get old, you know what I mean? When you get old, stuff just hangs. That's not true. But you want that to be confirmed so you can justify going to Mickey D's and watching uh, 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 endless episodes of Netflix, uh, something The Grateful Dead or whatever it's called, right? <laughs> so you don't want to confirm these kinds of things. Reject confirmation bias everywhere you look. The country is on fire. This America is not number one, okay? I think it's number 47 in education, number five in economy, number 20 in healthcare or something like that, and number one in COVID infections and diseases because of comorbidities, right? Because most people are unhealthy, 
But if you think number one is being the most obese, the most diabetic, the most uneducated, then yeah, that's number one. So I would reject that just based on trying to live the world. You want to be fit and you want to be well-educated. Boom, bottom line. Okay? So it's not anti-patriotic. I think if people were to critique something, it makes it better. Right? If you want to get good at something, you need to be critiqued and her be good at it. You want to be a good house painter, you need to apprentice with a really good house painter and they'll tell you what a piece of crap you are when you first start and you'll go, okay, let me work on it, work on it, work on your brush stroke, work on your paint mixing. And you know what? You're, you're halfway decent today, kid. And you'll be real happy. Just to be you're halfway decent. Right? You're not the worst I've seen. I love that. I love that. You're not the worst I've seen. That's pretty good. Right? I'm the second loser. Right? So that's a good way of looking at it. Then you can work on yourself. But if you want them to tell you how wonderful you the quality falls. You fall down. You follow me, Ben? Yeah, yeah, I definitely follow you. I'm still trying to process the tirade from the state of the U.S. to Mickey D's and everything else you got in there. You covered a lot of ground. But I think there are a few things that maybe we can take away from this conversation. So we've talked about how confirmation bias is bad for evolution. It's bad for health. It's bad for anxiety. I like some of the antidotes that you provided so just having the mentality of rejecting confirmation bias that's important more practically if you think about what can you actually do look for a wider range of information so don't just read one article read an opinion that's contrary to the opinion that it makes sense to you see the world from different perspectives ask questions i think that asking questions is critical i mean that's how we advance our knowledge Maybe we feel ignorant, but so what? We come away with information that we can use to our advantage. So those strategies, I think, are very common sense things that we can start doing. It really just depends on putting the ego aside. I mean, the ego is always what gets in our way. It's what makes us think, no, I'm not going to listen to criticism. I'm too good for this. I don't need someone to tell me what all of my defects are. I don't need to hear about an issue that in my mind is closed. I don't need to hear someone else's point of view, especially when they're barbarians or however, I'm going to diminish the other side so that I feel better about what I believe. Put all that aside, approach with an open mind, and we can come out ahead. And Z, I'll just add one more thing from my own experience. It's really not as bad as we think. I think that there's a fear we have sometimes which is, oh my God, if I let someone critique me, if I admit to my shortcomings, that's going to be so painful. I can't let myself be seen as someone who needs help. I can't deconstruct this image that I have of myself in my mind. Or alternatively, I've got a certain view of the world and if I let anything shake that view, it's just going to be so jarring. How am I going to deal with all this uncertainty? How am I going to deal with not knowing? I think that's something else that gets in the way of avoiding confirmation bias, just the need to know and have certainty. But if you start practicing it, it's really not that bad. I mean, someone says something, you start looking forward to criticism because it becomes an opportunity. So instead of a threat, it becomes something actionable that you can do to improve yourself. It gives you another strategy to manage life. If you're open to uncertainty and you're not so dogmatic, it frees up a lot of mental energy. It's just easier, it's I think a lot more fluid. You don't have to hold on to your ideas so tightly. You don't have to grip onto life. 
You don't have to be afraid of coming across articles or points of view that are going to conflict with your own. It just makes it much easier to move through this world. So with a little bit of practice, uh, I think we can see that what might feel really scary actually isn't that big of a deal. You're absolutely correct, Finn. And, and just in, in moving from this segment to the other we're going to get into, and for all of those folks out there that enjoy our podcast, and, and I get feedback from you guys, and I want to thank everybody, all you folks out there, um, please chime in as we're building our Dharma Media platform and share with us some of the things you enjoy. It's always going to be free-flowing like this, so there will always be that integrity. We, we're not doing a presentation that is necessarily to appeal to every type of person. There will be people that totally don't dig what we say, but they're already coming in not liking what we say. You get what I'm saying? Because we're not confirming any particular uh, demographic except the people that are opt-outs and are into the dispassionate observer model and they're working on themselves. And so you guys are, there's a few of us, but we're all over the world. We have a good family of people. And most of the things we go through um, are universal. And it, we are just simply different um, bearers of that message. And I'll share with you real quick then before we close. Um, we make it a point to avoid political discussions and so forth. Why is that? Because po politics and religion are things that reside in a part of the human brain that doesn't deal with logic, reasoning, or anything else. It's simply things you're domesticated into and feel. It's part of the tribalism narrative that goes deals more with the reptilian part of the brain than the logic and reasoning part of the brain. To transcend that, one has to build a bridge between the more reptilian part of the brain and the more advanced part of the human brain. And you cannot do that without working on it. And that is one of the most difficult work you'll do in the world. It's like when people discover there's no Santa Claus or that religion is made up by different groups and it's our chosen superstition. That doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, I, I dig, you know, I'm into Hinduism and, and Taoism and Hinduism has thousands of gods, but I understand them to be archetypes of human beings and behavior. I, I'm a Star Trek fan. I love Star Trek and outer space contemplations. Um, and I always feel like there's extraterrestrials because I look up at the stars as a child. Uh, you, you're, you're in a beautiful place somewhere in Africa and you look up at the sky and the earth, you realize how small the earth is and I just have never believed that, that in the vastness of the universe and the infinite intelligence of the cosmos that it's just us here. You see all the different life forms that exist on earth and I can imagine just somewhere else maybe something else is going on. So I'm not so in the frame that I think this is the greatest, bestest, everything there. This is all I know. So that set me off as a child. <coughs> I also have, excuse me, I also have a lot of dear friends from different cultural backgrounds, even within the Americas. And the other day, one of my dear friends was deeply vested in politics, and he was saying, well, I, I don't see why so many people don't like this president. And he, it, it, was, it, was, it was really weird to hear it on one hand because to me it's obvious. But I said to him, he said, why do you think that is? And I said, well, maybe it had something to do with the discrimination lawsuits in New York, maybe the Central Park Five, maybe the birther thing, maybe all those things that um, people build into the algorithm of how they form their ideas about a person. And for one person, it's no big deal. For another person, it's a major big deal. And 
they said, well, you know, people are always calling this or that person a racist. And I said, and he was shocked by what I said, I don't think that being a racist is a problem. No more than I think being a pianist is a problem or a flautist is a problem. I don't think any ist is a problem. I think the challenge comes from when you're in the public square. If I'm a person who hates animals, and I don't think animals should exist on this earth, I probably shouldn't work as a veterinarian or in a zoo. If I have views that make me anti-woman, I probably shouldn't work in a family planning clinic or in a women's shoe store, right? So I don't have a problem with what you believe or what you feel. The challenge is sustainability. If you have views and ideas about things or people that prevent you from interacting with those people, then you probably shouldn't put yourself in a position of trust and confidence in that part. So that's how I resolve those. For some of you who are dealing with those things, don't be so hard on people because of their particular ist. Just make it clear as you're dealing with them that if you don't like kids, don't babysit. Won't be the best babysitter. It's real simple. So if you are appalled by certain people or things or cultures, then make sure you don't put yourself in a situation where you have to offer care support for them. And another thing is we we want to understand that human beings are in particular in a lot of ways. You may like something and not like this. You may be fond of this and fond of that. that that's okay. That's the nature of human. You don't. So we, we, we also want to avoid this kind of virtue signaling. Uh, doing this thing where we need to, everyone to confirm that we're a virtuous person. Most we're not. Most human relationships, all human relationships are based on mutual benefit. Commerce and economy and the way we have developed our economy reduces everything down to dollars and cents. So most people have a price on them. There are a few people that have no price on them. But we won't know until that's tested. Thus is why Muhammad Ali died the most recognized person on earth. Muhammad Ali was deeply spiritual. He did not need the confirmation of other people to say he was great. He believed that he had a connection to his divine ideal of divinity, his, his God. So when he decided not to fight in a war that he believed to be unjust, that President Nixon confirmed to be unjust, by the way, and they took all of his money, they took every penny he had, and he was not allowed to access the money he had made. So his children, his wife, all of them were suddenly thrust into poverty. And they said, all you have to do is say you go along with the war and we will free up your money. That's what the government said to him. Just say in front of a camera that you support the war and we will give you all your money, all your financial suffering will be over. And he said, I cannot do that. I, I, I cannot do that. I am not made that way. So they said, okay, well, you will live in poverty. Your children will starve or suffer. We will do everything we can to inflict suffering upon you. And his number one nemesis, Joe Frazier, who despised Muhammad Ali, paid all of his bills, bought all of his groceries, 
took care of every financial need of his family because he said, when all of this is over, when I fight you and I beat you, I don't want you to have an excuse saying that you were worried about your family and you were broke. I'm going to make sure you're as rich as I am until you get through this so I can kill you. So uh, it's, it's an interesting story, but think about what both of them had a deep, quiet belief in themselves, whether you agree with it or not. But remember, the most, one of the most despised men of his day, Muhammad Ali, was despised, hated by people because he stood by what he believed in a world where very, so few people did that this little boy from Louisville, Kentucky in the 20th century became the most recognized face, the most recognized face on planet Earth for that simple act of standing by what he believed. So everybody says it, but few people do it. So few that it affected the whole world with one man doing it. So he did not need confirmation. He, he had already been affirmed by his belief. Okay, Vin? Yeah, so Z, that's a good example to end on. Uh, so uh, let's avoid confirmation bias. Let's keep an open mind, uh, stick to what's true, uh, what resonates, and go out, do the homework, do the investigation, and that's how we move forward. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.